Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? There we were at a random brewery in Atlanta when someone came up to us and asked, are y'all the host of People Are the Worst? And she said, this is gonna sound weird, but are people the worst? And right. we're like, they are, yes. And she's like, I love the podcast. We got recognized. Y'all, very first. the very first, and we were amped. Oh my God, we couldn't hide our excitement. Shout out to you, Julie. Julie. Thank you. If you ever think you see us, please approach us. If you know, and if you it's know not us, us, you know that we're going to love it. Yeah. And if it's not us, do it anyway and then tell us about it because it's hilarious. Yeah. And then tell those people you mistook us for about the podcast, please. Yeah. That's a good idea. Um, it was so exciting. And it made me think, I remember listening to My Favorite Murder way back when, and I remember Georgia being so excited that she got recognized for the first time. And I wish I could remember what episode number that was just to um, see, <laughs> just to compare, just to see, was it episode 75? Is, it, <laughs> is that this episode? Does that sound right to everyone? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Um, well, that was so very thanks, exciting. Julie. Thanks Julie. It really made our day. Yeah. For real. My head's grown three sizes since. Oh my God, I'm treating everyone differently. Yeah. Oh my God, um, for sure. Everyone in my path is being belittled for sure. Oh my God, for real. I'm meaner. I'm mm -hmm. snobbier. Mm -hmm. I'm entitled. Mm -hmm. The way it's meant to be. <laughs> Just how God intended it. Right. And he said, let's do two of these. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know what? Let's do two of these people. That's like, amazing. This, yeah. This is too much badass for one person. Let's split it into two. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now no one's ever going to come up to us ever again. No, you have to. We have to. You can't you have to keep feeding the ego. <laughs> Chill. I know. I'm kidding, guys. I'm very humbled. Uh, we do have a custom shout out. Allison, one of our Patreons. She wanted to custom shout out her dogs, whose names are Morrison and Mankiewicz. Named after Keith Morrison and Josh Mankiewicz, my favorite, favorite Dateline host. Oh, my God. How funny is that? That is so good. Mank Mankiewicz, come Man here. I bet, I bet it's like, Manky, cute. Nope. Mankiewicz. Nope. Mankiewicz. Josh. Quit shitting on the floor. Josh, Josh, stop it. Joshua, get over here right now. <laughs> Morrison is a four-year-old German Shepherd cattle dog mix, and <gasps> Mankiewicz is a two-year-old cattle dog Border Collie mix. And she said when Whoa. she tweeted their names, Keith Morrison himself responded. No. Talk about making what? it. That's when you know you've made it. Yeah, you have. Wait, what did he say? I don't know. Say? No. Damn it. Anyway. Isn't that cool? That's dope AF. I think that's all I had. Going to get right into it. I'm telling Rachel and all of you the story of Jesse Valencia. That's, I don't remember how I found this case, but there is a dateline on it, speaking of Morrison and Minkowitz, uh, from years ago. Other sources, case text, case law, court documents galore, justia.com, and Columbia, columbiamissourian.com. Oh. On June 5th, 2004, a student at the University of Missouri, Matt Finucane, walked outside of his house near campus, and there was a body of a man laying in an awkward position in the grass. 
He wasn't wearing anything but blue shorts and his throat had been slit. And he noted on the 911 call that there were a ton of flies buzzing around the neck wound. Ooh. Uh Cops were there in minutes and put up their crime crime scene tape, but they had to do their thing. So the body wasn't covered up completely. And this was creating quite the crowd. Oh my God. No, no, no. Sorry, students, man. Stomachs of motherfucking steel. Oh, it's so weird that they're like, come one, come all. (laughs) Yeah. Officer Steven Rios arrived at the scene and immediately recognized the victim as a kid he had recently arrested. It was 23-year-old rising senior Jesse Valencia. You see, about six weeks prior to this, in April 2004, Jesse was at a party that got a little too loud and the cops ended up coming. And when they told everyone to leave, Jesse got a little mouthy. He was a he had some drinks, so he got a little mouthy and protested shutting the party down. So Officer Rios told him that if he didn't shut his mouth, he would be arrested. And Jesse responded with, do what you got to do. So he did. Ooh, Ooh. ballsy. <laughs> he put him in cuffs and took him down to the station where he wrote him a ticket for obstructing a police operation. <laughs> Remember, sorry. Wow. Remember in high school when the cops came to our party and... They made everyone but us go outside in the backyard and Will our like one of our best guy friends, Will, kept yelling like, nice gloves. And like just, <laughs> No. But they kept looking out there to try to figure out who was saying it and obviously couldn't. Who was but heckling I, them? It was just heckling them. Nice gloves was the one I remember. I was like, God, <laughs> here we go. I'm like, it's that guy right there. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Oh, it's oh, we call him penis, by the way. <laughs> yeah, His nickname is penis in high school. If, if that tells you anything. What so a little good. shit. It's, that's what that reminded me of. So good. Oh, that's hilarious. So Officer Rios formally identified him, and at 5.45 p.m., almost four hours after the body had been found, they were able to finally put him in a body bag and take him to the medical examiner's office. The medical examiner said the gaping hole in his neck was very deep and not smooth, uh-uh. as if it was done with a serrated knife. That's what I was just about to guess. God, we've... Yeah, it even nicked his spine. There were also bruises on on his back and between his shoulder blades, under his jaw and chest, and a, quote, tremendous hemorrhage underneath the chest bruise, which I believe is consistent with having a knee or something creating a lot of pressure to the chest. And there were six unknown hairs found on Jesse's clean-shaven chest. Ooh. At the crime scene, they noticed there was only blood on the grass beneath him, which came from the neck wound. He didn't have any blood on the front of him, except for the throat, obviously. So he was likely lying down when his throat was slit. And he didn't have any defensive wounds, so they concluded he was likely unconscious when he was stabbed. And the autopsy later showed that he was actually strangled nearly to death before having his throat slit. I thought the bruise under his ribs or whatever indicated a knee or something. So it sounds sounded like he got like the shit beat out of him if he was unconscious. Well, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Doesn't seem fair at all. It was also determined he was killed sometime before sunrise between 3.45 a.m. to 5 a.m. And just left on someone's front lawn? Left on oh, someone's God. front lawn where he was discovered at 2 p.m. the next day. Wow. College kids me. About seven hours away in Perryville, Kentucky, Jesse's sweet mom, Linda, got the call and fainted. No. (laughs) She was only 21 when she had him, and eventually she met a man and married him, so he gained a stepdad and two sisters, but for a while it was just them, so they were uber close. 
She then recalled in an interview a very eerie conversation she had with Jesse when he was only seven years old. He sat her down and told her he knows he's going to die young. Seven mm. years old. What? Why did he say that? She said she cried about it and he would say, I'll be okay, mom. Just enjoy the time you have with me now. <laughs> oh she my asked God. why he thought that and he said he doesn't know. He just had a feeling and he has no idea what age or how it happened, but he knew his life would be short. How mm. weird is that? Oh my God. I'm like, I'm very speechless. Hold on. Let me think about this. Oh my God. If my son said that to me, I would just scoop him up and cuddle him like a little baby for the rest of his life. Oh my God. I know. I would wrap him in bubble wrap and say, this is how you're going to live forever. Yeah. And it's going to be in my arms. I don't care if you're 40 years old. That's what's happening. (gasps) Wow. And when he was just 10 years old, he told his mom he was gay and he was scared that she wouldn't love him anymore, which obviously could not have been further from the truth. She told him there was nothing in the world he could do that would make her not love him. And from that point forward, he was very comfortable in his own skin. Oh, I'm so proud of both of them. Me too. I know. I am going to scoop him up and give him a big old kiss. Right. Oh. Oh. Now saying, well, like, unfortunately, you can't scoop him up. Oh. Died tragically at 23 years old. Well, sad. I know that, but oh. I know it's sweet. He was very proud of who he was and he thrived. He did. He wanted to get out of Kentucky and decided to study pre-law at Mizzou with the aspiration of becoming an attorney one day. So back in Columbia, cops went to Jesse's apartment, which was about a half a block from where his body was found. The door was open as if he flung it open to escape. They think he was trying to run to a friend's house for help when his killer called up to him. Oh, my God. Cops found a note from an ex-boyfriend named Jason. Apparently, they broke up pretty recently, and he wasn't taking it well. So they bring him in for questioning, and he said he was fine with the breakup, and he and Jesse remained friends. He even had a new boyfriend, so there was no ill will towards Jesse, and he was very visibly upset about the murder. He said that night he went home by, he was home by 1 a.m. and went straight to bed. Unfortunately, he was alone, so no one could vouch for him, so that's not a good alibi at all, and he remains a suspect. He willingly gives his DNA and they let him go. This clearly shook the entire community. Everyone had all the questions you would expect. How did this happen? How did no one see anything? Who would have done this? It also happened to be a couple of weeks before Columbia's first pride parade. So people thought maybe it was a hate crime, but everyone mm-hmm. loved Jesse and he had a million friends. So it really just didn't make sense to anyone. His phone records showed that his last call was at 3.13 a.m. to an unknown number. And his neighbor, Christopher, said he came home around 3 a.m. after a night out and immediately went to bed, but was woken up shortly after, between 3.30 and 4.30, by fighting he heard from Jesse's apartment. Oh, gosh. Did, and Jesse lived alone? Yeah, Jesse lived alone. Okay. He said he heard a man's voice yell, stop it, stop it. And then there was thumping on their shared wall that was so loud that Christopher banged on Jesse's door to tell them to shut up. Whoa. Mm-hmm. The next morning when leaving the apartment, Christopher noticed Jesse's door was wide open. So they start interviewing Jesse's friends, and what they gathered is that Jesse was very social. Even said he liked to party, but that term is so cheesy, it makes me cringe. Oh, does it? Because (laughs) one time in high school, um, Rebecca... this was coming. Okay, that's so interesting that makes you cringe, because once in high school we were like some new girl who was younger 
someone just like pinned this new girl, us taking this new girl out. We didn't know her at all, which was fine. And we pulled up next to her in the car. We were meeting somewhere to go to another party. And Rebecca rolled down the window and said, hey, you ready to party? <laughs> and I, me and my friend Gigi were like, oh, my God, that was the douchiest thing. <laughs> scared out of her mind. She probably thinks we're about to go do meth. <laughs> so, like, hard rave party. And that was probably 20 years <laughs> ago. And I still get a ton of shit for it. Yeah. I, it was awkward. I don't know what to say. It was just silence. Well, that we wasn't wrote- the thing to say. <laughs> We were like, no, don't worry. We're just going to the woods around a bonfire and there, there's going to be beer there. Don't don't let this girl fool you. We're, we're not, not gonna... going to drug you and sexually assault you. That's what it, it sounded like. Yeah, you ready to party? <laughs> Sorry, I had to pause the story for that because it's very important. I knew it was coming. <laughs> it was so just awkward. I didn't know what else to say and it came out so creepy. So no, that sorry was... to that girl. <laughs> Totally the right thing to say. <laughs> totally. Anywho, Jesse's friend, Jennifer Witherspoon, said Jesse was at her party the night he was killed, and he was with a guy named Ed McDevitt, who he met the night before at a gay bar. Several people said they saw Ed and Jesse lead the party together around 3 a.m. They bring Ed in for questioning, and he admitted they did have sex the night they met at the gay club two days prior. And they did leave Jennifer's party together, but when Jesse asked him to come over, he was too tired and had work the next morning, so he said no. Mm, I don't like that story. Right. Neither did cops. They're suspicious because that unknown number Jesse called at 3.13 a.m. was to Ed. But oh, so he, he actually did not spend the night then. Right. He said oh, okay. it was Jesse asking him to reconsider coming over. Aww. And again, he said, nah, and stayed home. And said so mm. his roommate, Eric Thurston, could even vouch for him because he was still up when Ed came home. Okay. Eric it's, is Ed's roommate. Eric is Ed's roommate. Yep. Okay. They reach out to Eric to confirm, but after meeting him, consider the possibility that maybe he did it. Eric had his own sketchy past with drug charges and fights and was very open to police about how much he hated Jesse. Mm. So weird to be open about this. Saying stuff like, I don't care that he's dead. When asked if he did it straight up, he said he could easily kill someone. He would have no problem doing it. But no, he didn't kill Jesse. (laughs) A weird ass thing to say in a police interview. What are you you doing? What are you doing? What's happening here? According to one source, Eric and Ed used to hook up. So this would give a jealousy motive if he found out, if Eric found out that Ed and Jesse hooked up. Oh, okay. Eric and Ed used to hook up and now they're roommates. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that is a sticky situation. I'm mm-hmm. gonna, I want to talk to this Eric guy more. Right. But he actually kind of had an airtight alibi. So when Ed got home, he went back out, which I'm like, it's Columbia, a- Missouri. Y'all, we went to Old Miss where the bars close at 12, one on weekends. Where are y'all going out at 3 a.m.? I'm like, is cocaine a regular occurrence in Columbia, Missouri? Because <laughs> there are so many people out past 3 a.m. in this town and this wow. story. Are there bars open? I'm just shocked. No, they just go to each other's houses is what I assume. Oh, well, that, please. Late night would go with, without cocaine. Late night could easily go till three. I'm picturing them going like downtown. Okay, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got home, uh, Eric went back out and spent the night with friends who confirmed he was there. They even made breakfast together. So Eric, although kind of an asshole, is uh, ruled out pretty quickly, but they asked him about Ed. And he said he's an aspiring chef. 
and their ears perk up because what comes with being a chef? Knives. Uh, but like, like a lot of people have a serrated knife. Sure. I know. So they get a warrant and search their home and they found a huge array of knives. Obviously makes sense. Aspiring chef. But it also is a little suspicious when a murder victim was killed by a specific serrated blade. So they yeah. take DNA samples and they wait for results. In the meantime, they move on to their next lead, who is a guy Jesse referred to as Boy Toy. It was rumored they were friends with benefits, but this guy, Adam Ellie, denies it, says he's not even gay, which is why I'm not going to give his name. Either he's not gay or he's not out, and who am I to give a name when, spoiler alert, he didn't do it. Okay. He said he was at his parents' house sleeping and was willing to do a voice stress test and fails it. I'll be honest. I'm failing a voice stress test every time if you ask me to take one. Oh, my God. Every I mean, time we speak on Zoom, I feel a little stressed. I think back on class presentations and how easily my voice shakes when I'm talking in front of people. Yeah. And I am confident being questioned by police about my friend's murder when I know the inflections of my voice are being tested. I'm failing. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm failing I'm, every time. Shaky yeah. voice galore. Y'all will hear it if we ever get to the point of live shows. Believe that. <laughs> Believe that believe it like polygraphs these aren't admissible in court but it's something they keep in mind something they put in the hmm category if you will sure but his parents said if he snuck out it would be it would require opening the garage door which is very loud and they would have woken up sure they could be covering for him but again spoiler it's not him then they get another lead big lead jesse's friend andy told the police he needed to tell them something. They bring him into the station, and he says about two weeks before the murder, he and Jesse were hooking up when there was a knock on the door in the middle of the night. It was a guy Jesse was secretly having an affair with, and this guy even engaged in a little sexual activity with Jesse and Andy, so a little threesome. And when they were done, he looked at Andy and said, you don't talk about this. He then got up to leave. Jesse asked when he would see him again, and the guy responded, it'll be a surprise. Oh, the detectives are like, oh, great. Okay, perfect. We need to know this guy's name. And Andy, unfortunately, didn't know it, but said what he can tell them is that he's a cop. <gasps> I was thinking that. They are not aware of any gay police officers in their precinct, so they asked if he could point them out in a picture, and Andy says, definitely. So the detective and his partner walk him down to a room where there's a bunch of yearbooks featuring every Columbia police officer. And when they sit down to go to the go through the pictures, Andy's visibly shaking and nervous and says, I don't need to look at these. We just passed them in the hallway. I am. I cannot. I just got chills. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And I bet that cop saw him and was like, fuck. Shit his pants. And who they just passed in the hallway was Officer Steven Rios, the one who arrested Jesse the night of the party, the responding officer who identified him at the crime scene and secured the area. Because Jesse got mouthy with him? He's the one that arrested him? Yeah. Oh, my God. Nice gloves, dick. (laughs) Oh. Right. Steven Rios. I got chills. That was good. I know. Stephen Rios was a 27-year-old up-and-comer in the precinct and a happily married man whose wife just had a baby. <gasps> Dick. I know. Apparently, the morning after Rios arrested Jesse, he came back over and Jesse thought there was some unfinished business, like a form he forgot to sign. 
but he later told his mom it turned into Rios asking a lot of personal questions about him and it quickly turned romantic and they ended up having sex. Oh my God. This is a very sticky situation, as you can imagine. They can't just ask Rios without having all the information. So they spend the next few days talking to Jesse's friends to see what else they can find out. And one of Jesse's girlfriends, Joan, said in May, they were at a party near Jesse's apartment and she had too much to drink. So Jesse, oh, do you hear Onyx barking? Yeah, very loud. Y'all up to Riley and say, shut that dog up. Will you grab Garrett Barrett's gun? <laughs> Stop. An old yeller Onyx. <laughs> Text, text that to Barrett and be like, oh, sorry, my, that was meant for Riley. <laughs> so Joan said she and Jesse were at a party in May near Jesse's apartment. She had too much to drink. So Jesse offered to let her stay at his apartment, which was walking distance, so she wouldn't have to drive home, and he would come home later. She took him up on the offer, and at 3 a.m., everything. Oh, at 3 a.m. She heard a knock on the door and assumed it was Jesse and he had left the keys or something. So she opened it and it was Officer Rios. She said he was in normal clothes, but she recognized him from the party he busted up where Jesse got arrested. Mm -hmm. He asked her if Jesse was there and then asked why she was there, which is a little rich. Because um, I, I, I'm a 22-year-old college student who's friends yeah. with the guy who lives here. Why are you here? Right. Sir. Adult-ass man. Who, yeah. How old is he? 27. Oh, okay. Never it's almost but, like a jealousy question, though. Making sure Jesse's not having an affair with a woman, heaven forbid. Yeah. So she explained she had too much to drink, and Jesse's letting her spend the night, but he's not home. He offered to drive her home, but she said no thanks, and he left. Oh. Then a good friend of Jesse, who lived in St. Louis, often talked to Jesse online. I'm guessing Gchat didn't say. And he knew about totally. Maybe AIM. Let's Maybe. be honest. Love St. Louis, though. Shout. And he knew about the affair with the cop, but Jesse never said his name. He only called him Columbia's finest. And at first, Jesse was very excited about their relationship and said he would often come over while he was on duty, but he had a feeling he was married, which pissed Jesse off because he didn't want to, quote, be someone's other woman. Oh, so he didn't know about the wife, the kids, any no. of that? No. That is so interesting that the cop wouldn't be like, by the way, please don't tell anyone this in a small college town where people oh, he did say it's a me. secret. Oh, okay. oh, I said it was it's a secret. Like you told oh. Andy during the threesome, you don't talk about this. Okay. So All it right. being a secret, just it's a tip off. Okay, you're clearly married or not out something. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because these were all over chats, police were able to print them out, and this was enough to confront Rios with. But to their surprise, before they got to question him, Rios actually approached them. He said he heard rumors that a police officer might have been involved and wanted to go ahead and clear the air that it wasn't him. He said he had arrested Jesse for obstruction, but that was it. And the detectives are all, well, we're being told something very different and presented all the information, including the threesome, which Rios initially denied, but then breaks down and confesses to an affair, but is adamant that he had nothing to do with the murder. Having sex on duty is a fireable offense on its own. So he's already in trouble. I was about to say that. Yeah. He said that night he started his shift at 6 p.m., even made a traffic stop, which is confirmed by his dash cam. And he finished his shift around 3 a.m. And he and a few other cops went to the roof of the station to have a few beers. 
which oh. is also confirmed by other cops and also how fun sharing cop stories fun. over beers. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. His I imagine cop- that's pretty frowned upon as well, but maybe not. No, I, don't, I don't think they care. Okay, great. His key card leaving the building was swiped at 4.37 a.m. And he said he went straight home. So cops make a surprise visit to his house to talk to his wife, Libby, while he's not there. And mind you, when your husband's a cop and cops knock on your door is typically a very sad and scary situation. So she's freaking out. Yeah. But they they tell her, no, no, he's not dead. He's just cheating on you with a man who was recently murdered. He's probably responsible for it. I'm kidding. They didn't tell her any of that, but she's probably thinking the absolute worst. And while it's not, it kind of is. They're like, no, wait, wait till you get a load of this twist. Yeah. You won't be relieved to hear what it is. I'm just kidding. They don't tell her any of that. They simply tell her that they have to question any officer who had known the victim prior to his murder. And since Rio recently arrested Jesse, he fell into that category and they needed to confirm what time he came home that night. I thought it was also against protocol for a department to investigate their own. Like, I thought in this situation, the state enforcement agency, the the MBI or whatever, would have to come in and investigate because these are colleagues. Yeah, I don't think that's the case because they damn sure investigated this guy. Okay. She said, Libby said their four-month-old woke up early that morning and she actually remembers the clock saying 5.15 a.m. So she got up and went into the kitchen to warm up a bottle and that's when Stephen walked in. So it was around 5.20, 5.25, she'd guess. Mm-hmm. That's about 45 minutes after he left the station. And mind you, Columbia is not a huge city. They actually did the drive from the station to Jesse's apartment to Stephen Rios's house. And total, it took 10 minutes. Oh, wow. So it left roughly 30 minutes unaccounted for. Yeah. So the cops thank her and leave. And later that day, instead of her husband coming home, several more cops come to search the house. She had no idea what to think, but they started searching shower drains, drawers everywhere, and to their surprise, they found nothing incriminating. Rios reassured his wife he was cleared as a suspect, but came clean about the affair. She believed he had nothing to do with the murder, but he did lie about being cleared as a suspect. That was not true. He was actually number one. Mm -hmm. And police put him on a leave of absence, and shortly after, he got approval to go visit his dad in Virginia, but instead, he went to a Walmart in Kansas City and bought a shotgun. Oh, no. He then called his wife to tell her goodbye, and she begged him not to do anything rash, told him to come fight this, and that their son needed him. Not knowing what to do, she called the police, and they came over to take over the conversation. Captain Schwartz pleaded with them not to end his life and come back to Columbia so they could sort everything out, and he agreed, but confirmed he would still have the gun, so they had no choice but to be there, guns drawn, when he approached, in case things went south. Yeah. But luckily they didn't, and once he got there, he was taken into protective custody and put on a 96-hour hold at a mental health facility. When mental health professionals went to his room to check on him, he was gone. Oh, He managed to somehow escape. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. God, I'm I'm getting very nervous. A very short manhunt later, they find him on the rooftop of the parking garage where he's standing on the edge. No. There is a lot of cell phone footage of this, by Ooh. the way. It drew a very large crowd. I do not know this case. I mean, I, I just like, that I is. I know. It's wow. shocking. Okay. 
Police arrive at the scene and a negotiator was able to talk him down and he was again placed in a mental facility and it was during this time DNA results came back. There were three DNA matches under Jesse's fingernails. His own, obviously. Mm-hmm. Ed McDevitt's and Steve Rios. Ed was very honest that they had sex less than 48 hours before the murder. Cops even found the condom and Jesse's trash, which also had Ed's DNA on it. But Rios claimed he hadn't seen Jesse since late May, so at least a week prior to the murder. So it's very unlikely his DNA would be under his fingernails unless he was lying. Mm-hmm. And obviously this rules out any other former suspects. The six stray hairs found on Jesse's chest all tested positively to Stephen Rios' hairs. Oh, God. And not only that, they were his arm hairs. This is when it occurred to police that the arm hairs, the bruise on the back of his neck and across his chest are consistent with a chokehold they learned at the training academy called the unilateral neck restraint. Ow. And according to the academy trainer who actually taught Rios the chokehold in 1997, when done correctly, correctly, it knocks someone out within a matter of seconds. Oh, my God. Steven Rios was arrested for first-degree murder and pleaded not guilty. While waiting for his trial, his wife packed up all his stuff, put their house on the market, and even sold his car, but still believed he was innocent and would testify in his defense at the trial. Jesse's friends also testified, and Joan, the girl who was, had too much to drink and slept at the apartment that night, yeah. specifically said that days before the murder, Jesse went to the court summons for that arrest assuming Rios would drop the charge given their secret affair, but he didn't. And Jesse was going to have to appear in court again at the end of June. He was pissed about it and said that next time he was going to see Rios, he's going to tell him that if he doesn't get it dismissed, he has a secret that the chief of police might be interested in. Oh, oh, he said that to him? No, he said oh. it. He, he told Joan that he was going to oh. tell Stephen Rios that. Oh, okay. But Shall okay. I say that? I'm going to say that again. No, no, that was clear, but I'm just saying that would answer my question of motive. Like, why oh, did yeah. he do this? This is a very clear motive. Yeah. It also begs the question, why the hell wouldn't you just drop the charges? It's a stupid obstruction ticket, and the guy you're charging it with holds your entire life and reputation in his I mean, hands. Seriously. thinking, anyway? Prosecution gave their theory, which I'm sure we can all guess, but Rios came over after the rooftop beers to have sex with Jesse. He, being pissed, refused sex and threatened to out him. It started a fight. Jesse tried to escape. Rios used that chokehold on him and slit his throat using a clip knife, which is very common for cops to have. The knife, unfortunately, was never found, and Rios denied owning a knife like that, but other cops testified that they had seen him with one several times. Officer Roger Slude, in particular, recalled a very specific encounter earlier that year where he was sharpening his own knife in the briefing room and Rios walked in, asked to borrow the sharpener and pulled out a Spyderco clip knife. Officer Schlude remembers this because he said the sharpener wasn't meant for a serrated blade like his, so it wouldn't work. Okay, there it is. So these aren't knives that the police station own or they do? Oh, okay. Uh, These are personal ones. Yeah, okay. personal ones. So just it, like, if hey, you Google it, it's the exact one you're thinking of. It's like yeah. a big pocket knife. Flips yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. And several cops had a story like this. Following the week-long trial, jurors found Stephen Rios guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole for first-degree murder and a consecutive 10-year sentence for armed criminal action. But it ain't over. Oh, 
because two years later, an appellate court ruled Jones' testimony about the motive was hearsay because there's no proof those threats were ever made to Stephen Rios himself. Could have been all talk and Jesse could have just been venting to his friend. So he got a new trial. What? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But like, isn't it? An, I know. Yeah, sure. It's hearsay an assumption, but Jesse held a very big secret and Officer Rios held a, a charge that Jesse didn't want to have. Like they both had right. something that pissed the other one off and they both had some sort of control. And it's, you can't just assume that something went haywire. I know. The I mean, rational no, I and mind is like, well, I know, but the facts are you did have something on right. each other. So there was, yeah, there was no have. witness to that conversation, but you could, you could really decipher that something like that happened. Right. Come on. And all right, fine. New trial. Yeah. Cause Rio's saying, no, he never made that threat to me. Therefore I have no reason to kill him. <laughs> Whatever. I'm like, of course. okay, sure. And the new trial defense attacks the timeline of everything. The neighbor claimed the arguing started sometime between 3.30 and 4.30, but it was confirmed from Rio's key card. Yeah. Right. But remember, it was confirmed by Rio's key card. He left the rooftop at 4.37. Christopher, oh. the neighbor, was admittedly very drunk. Yeah. So he could have gotten it wrong. But even with that, the defense argued a 30-minute timeline would be very hard to start a fight, chase a victim, kill him, clean up, get rid of evidence, and make it home in time to help your wife with a screaming baby. Hmm. Additionally, Libby testified again and said the clock she looked at when she woke up did say 5.15, but it was set seven minutes fast. This was new. She, she never said that in the first trial, but remembered Stephen said it fast so he would never be late to work. Yeah. So he actually got home even earlier, making the window to kill even smaller. Which, if you lay out the events like that, start a fight, chase a victim, kill him, clean up, get rid of evidence. It does sound like a lot to do in 30 minutes, but really it wasn't. He was unconscious when his throat was slit by a chokehold that knocks you out in a matter of seconds. But yeah. you slit his throat, there's no blood except probably your hands and the knife, yeah. just throw it out the window. Or it could have been in his pocket when he got home and he discarded it later for all we know. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, there's not, it's not that much. It's definitely doable. Uh-huh. They also argued that the hairs on Jesse's chest was because Stephen Rios's hairs were found on Jesse's comforter. Therefore, could have stuck onto his skin while he's in bed moments before the killer came in. They said this is evidence of an affair, not a murder. They try to point the finger at Ed McDevitt, but there is a huge lack of motive for me. They met yeah. two days prior for the murder. They pretty much had a one-night stand. Mm. He's not in the closet. He's openly gay. Like, what's there to do? Like, what's there to kill him over? That was the third person with yeah. with DNA under the fingernails? Yeah. Yeah. It's grasping at straws. The jury deliberates and find him guilty of second-degree murder. Therefore, he's up for parole in 2049. His ex-wife stands by the fact that he's innocent, she said she's seen him upset before, and when he came in their house, he was calm, cool, collected, and most importantly, very clean. Again, I've made my case about this. If he was unconscious, there's not much blood. Whatever. He washed his hands. Yeah. And he was calm, cool, collected because he got rid of his problem. Right. He, he got thought. all the rage out. Mm-hmm. So. She's remarried and Next. wants to put the entire thing behind her. 
but she does encourage their son, who is in his early 20s now, to visit him in prison whenever he wants. Mm. And that is the story of Jesse Valencia. What's weird to me is this Stephen Rios guy didn't do much to hide their affair. He came over unannounced without any regard of who might be there. Uh. He came over in uniform. He had a threesome with one of Jesse's friends. I can't decide if he's arrogant as shit and thought he could use his power as intimidation to keep several people quiet mm-hmm. or if he's just an idiot, but it's bizarre how blasphemy yeah. he was. I'm thinking arrogant, which is. Yeah, probably. I don't know. And he, I, he probably didn't start the affair with the intention of murdering Jesse. Right. But I don't know. What a... Probably kept in his back pocket knowing that he could if, if it came down to that. Well, he did. So, well, some, here, I, no, he did. I mean, I just don't know who else it would have been. Yeah. At all. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was crazy, right? Why don't, I have, why don't I remember that? I know. When I came across it, I was like, damn. It was the, I don't know his name, but he is a cop thing for me. Oh, yeah. And we just passed him in the hall. That I was like, okay, that's my next story. The moment he said God. it. I, like, I wish that I wish the Stephen Reyes would come clean so I could hear his reaction to that. I'm like, shit. Yeah. That See, guy. The blood drained from his face the moment he saw Andy. Yeah. Whew. Wow. Good one. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mean to say that so happy. Okay. No, on. that's okay. After he saw Andy, he clearly that's when he decided to approach his department and say, I heard a rumor a cop might be involved. No, you just saw. You just saw the guy who was coming clean about you. You saw yeah, your yeah, guy no. that you had a threesome with. Mm-hmm. Wow. Crazy. Jeez, that's insane. Poor Jesse. Oh, and his mom. Poor Linda. Linda. Oh, sad. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Y'all are the best. People, People are the worst. Are the worst. Bye.